0: It's Camille and Louise, your host of the feminist book Chat Paris, a podcast that explores the many faces of an intersectional feminism through literature. When Lou and I watched journalist, author, and committed feminist Amelia Abraham's TEDx talk last year for the first time, a 12-minute empowering speech called Why Feminists Should Support Transgender Rights, we instantly knew we wanted to interview her. And beside being incredibly eloquent on stage, Amelia was about to publish her first book named Queer Intentions, A Personal Journey Through LGBTQ Culture at the end of May 2019. You can imagine our excitement. Queer culture has never been so mainstream. Therefore, Amelia Abram decides to travel the world to explore and confront the many questions that being queer implicates. Because queer means so much more today than it did previously, and the community has grown significantly wider, Queer Intentions gives us the opportunity to get more answers on the ambivalence and contradictions we face every day.
1: So here's a bit more of what um, the book covers. There's pride and breaking down what that means, Um, sex workers integration or lack of within the LGBTQ plus community, We get some insight into the drag community, as well as violence towards marginalized queer communities. Um, There's stuff in there about same-sex marriage, uh, trans conditions in the Middle East, as well as all around the globe. And in addition to all of this, we also get a clear view of the importance of community, as well as its potential limitations. and various types of queer lifestyle and fundamental values from really from a global perspective um, and it's celebrated and recognized fully. There's just so much to discuss and so much to learn from the people that Amelia meets with and interviews. The book combines excellent journalism skills with a really charming openness Um, And this kind of ends up with the book being a sort of magical Q&A that manages to raise awareness of a very diverse culture whose voices are sometimes drowned out or intentionally silenced. Um, Trans conditions and rights within different countries and societies is definitely a topic that Camille and I want to keep learning more about. Um, We just feel quite strongly that this will help uh, nourish our reading sessions whilst also continuing to give visibility to a topic that urgently needs all of our attention.
0: So, uh, hi Amelia and thank you so much for taking time for us to answer our questions we are so so amazed by your book i think we both loved it and we can't wait for our our community to be able to enjoy bits of it so um we won't have time to cover all the chapters but there's some few topics that we really wanted to talk to you about Um, we thought for example that your book did such a a great work in giving a voice to those who don't actually fit um, inside a gender sexuality box, as well as bringing attention to discrimination that takes place within these underground communities. So um, your TEDx London talk uh, sheds a light on sheds a light on feminists not supporting transgender, um, and queer intention develops upon that by telling us about drag queens rejecting trans men or women having. Uh, whom- women who have fully transitioned, uh, women not supporting women, or gay misogyny. I mean, just the queer community's rejection of sex workers, or more globally, just minorities not supporting minorities. How do you feel about rejection within the queer community? And how can, you, uh, how can we find a way to overcome these attitudes that keep marginalized communities from uniting and helping each other out?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's not, all these topics you listed are not necessarily things that when I started writing the book, I thought, oh, I really want to cover this or talk about this. They're things that naturally came up on my journey. So when I went to interview different people, I would find that these types of conversations about um, you know, hi- hierarchies of oppression or infighting um, or different types of phobias, e- like transphobia or homophobia or femphobia, within LGBT communities as well as outside of them, um, kept just coming up um, in conversation. So I didn't really plan to cover this necessarily, it's just a fact of LGBT life. I think also, I I suppose, it, it, having said that, it was important to show that these things do exist between LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. like, we're not always facing discrimination from outside, but that we can discriminate against each other. Um, Because that's the truth, but also for people reading it, you know, for straight people reading, I didn't want it to be like, oh look, you know, all of our oppression's your problem, because it's it's not, it's like a structural thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And also for LGBT people reading, I think I wanted people to take away from the book, like, how can I do better? And in terms of that question of how we can do better, I mean, I suppose just educating ourselves, really. um, I hope the book will go a little bit of a way to do that and make people think about things they might not have. So for instance, MJ Brown, who's like an African-American drag queen um, who's who's gender non-conforming that I interview in the book, um, as you said, talks a lot about um, femphobia within drag. um, And another drag queen I interviewed, they both said the same thing, which is something I see my friends experiencing a lot, which is, You know, if you're a drag queen, you kind of can't get laid. um, Or if you're femme presenting, you you can't get laid as a gay man. um, Or, you know, as a gender non-conforming person. And I I guess it all stems back to misogyny, really. A lot of the different types of um, discrimination uh, all seem to stem back to misogyny. Um, And so, yeah, I suppose we just need to be a bit more cognizant when, we th- when we're thinking about how we treat other people and questioning where our biases lie as LGBT people. Um, I think that that would improve a lot of the discrimination.
1: And I think um, just to kind of c- continue what, what you said there about educating um, and just making people, opening their eyes to it and making them aware because this has been around for a long time. Like very recently we watched the documentary on Netflix about Marsha P. Johnson. And you see footage, you know, it's incredible that the footage that they have where you see um, Sylvia Rivera standing up at the first gay pride which comes out of Stonewall Inn and and getting up and, and saying in very clear words like, you are forgetting us, you are leaving us behind, we are here fighting with you and you're pushing us away to the sidelines. So just to have this book in the present day be so clear and concise on things, it's obviously very important because... Um, there's still that kind of battle, um, not battle, but there's still work to be done, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, it's something I'm thinking a lot about this weekend in particular, actually, because I'm writing an article about um, trans pride, um, which London Trans Pride, which has just been announced that they're going to have the first London Trans Pride in September, which wow. is, which is a great thing. And if, if the people that are organising it want their own space, that's that's great, and they should have that, however, if the reason that they're doing that is because they don't feel safe or welcome at London Pride, then we've got a big problem and I, and, and I think that, I haven't actually spoken to them yet, but I think that they don't because last year, um, people who identified as lesbians and feminists stormed London Pride um, and did a protest against the inclusion of trans women at Pride, um, which you know was something that Pride in London have, have condemned and said that they didn't want welcome in any way. But it still happened, and it, and I can understand why that would make trans people feel unwelcome at Pride. And so I guess what I'm thinking about a lot this weekend, but also in the book, is like, how can the rest of the uh, LGB community... Um, what can we do about that? Um, and I hope that one thing that comes out of the book in terms of this idea of not really like looking out for each other or all s- existent phobias like transphobia within ho- homosexual mm-hmm. communities or whatever is like, this exp- this journey I had made me realize that we're, we are all connected, and everywhere I went, I found someone, LGB, or T, or Q, or whatever else, or I, willing to help me, and willing to give up their time to welcome me into their lives, be my guide, be my unofficial fixer, um, you know, and they, the only reason they did that was because, like, they felt like the project was important, but also because they felt like connected to it or they, they yeah. felt that we had some kind of, we almost like we owed each other something. And so, you know, it was, writing, it was a really nice reminder for me personally that we are part of this bigger international family and we are still a community. Yeah,
0: speaking of this sense of community that sometimes gets lost.
2: Yeah, I think it does get lost. So I hope reading the book kind of joins up the dots in all these different places between all these different types of LGBT people. It really does. Okay,
1: (laughs) So also in Queer Intentions you touch upon uh, this ambivalence uh, between the general desire for independence within uh, LGBTQ plus communities uh, in terms of social norms and the desire to still want to fit in to something. So for example finding a partner, settling down with them, starting a family etc. So that's still uh, kind of putting a binary basis um, in terms of everyday life choices. Um, so as a queer person, you either have to conform to heteronormative standards or you don't, you go your own way, way or then you're somewhere in between in the gray area, for example, uh, being bisexual, uh, which is something that is not even taken seriously or uh, respected. So in terms of the question, do you think that these contradictory feelings within the community are the result of like social construct social conditioning that is so interiorized that none of us uh, can really free ourselves from wanting these things like a family love partner or is it more that queer communities by emancipating themselves from the the straight heteronormative model have created another set of different boundaries that then put them and their community in kind of like another restricted box or is it neither of those things and it's something else
2: well, it's certainly very complicated, <laughs> as I found yeah. out. I was like, that's weird that there's not really a book about this, about like the emotional side of this. There's a, there's, a, there's many, many books about like the political side of like, should we assimilate, shouldn't we, and like a lot of academic books. Yeah. There wasn't really, they didn't really feel anything. Because
0: people
2: feel ashamed of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a confusing, but I also I think the other reason one might be like people feeling confused or shameful, but the other one I think is is just a really hard topic, as I <laughs> found out trying to write a book about it. 'Cause there's no real answer. But I a few things on that is what I will say is one of the reasons I decided like this is where I want to start the book is because I think this is a really universal thing. I don't think it's particular to queer people. So for instance, I mean, like with my cap on, not as a queer person but as a like as a just as a woman, mm-hmm. um, I think we're brought up and we, we see these films, like we see like a rom com where the woman like finds the one and they're like Prince Charming at yeah. the end. And then we see like I mean, and then we see, like, the single kind of model of, like, the single perishing woman who's, like, not having kids by a certain age. And I think that it really relates to that. It's, like, this idea of, like, you have certain life markers that you're supposed to hit, and you're a failure if you don't. And I think that everybody is pretty much conditioned to feel like that in society, whether or not they're queer. I think women particularly are made to feel like that. Um, And it's been nice to have a few messages from friends uh, who are... Straight women who have read the book and said, "Oh wow, like I kind of didn't think I'd be that interested in your book to be honest, yeah. but I'm reading the first chapter and i'm it's making me think about so many things about how I'm not married yet at thirty three when I thought I would be, or how i'm thirty six and i maybe I'm not going to have a child um because we all um we all feel the weight of the pressures of heteronormativity, I suppose yeah, yeah. but on the on the to- speaking more specifically about queer people, you know this tension's been there for a really really long time um and I think it's something I've always noticed like even when I was at university like learning about queer studies Mm -hmm. um this question of I guess a good way to sum it up is if like what are we fighting for or what have people before us been fighting for is it to be is it to be the same as everyone else or to be accepted as different and that is what the tension is and that's a tension we can kind of carry inside of ourselves I think like Know for anyone who hasn't read the book, what I was feeling was like, oh, you know, I have all these rights now, I and I'm you know, white cis and quite privileged, and I live in England, and I could just get married um, and have kids and sort of live like your average per- straight person, yeah. um, and that's amazing. But I also f- I think queer people f- with these privileges, you know, it's great to have these privileges, but I think we feel more conflicted because we've grown up still people of our generation, I'm 27, like without without ever being able to see that as an option as a child, so these are quite new privileges. Um, and I think what we do when we grow up not, you know, gay marriage only got legalized in the UK in 2014, so until 2014 I was alive for like 23 years where that wasn't possible. Mm. Um, And so you kind of you go if something rejects you you kind of go oh well I didn't want that anyway you know it's a self defence mechanism yeah yeah yeah. Um, so it's kind of a a self defence mechanism but it's also and it's also out of necessity that you find other forms of happiness or ways of being Mm -hmm. Um, and then when all that changes I think we're left feeling quite confused or conflicted Um, and that's really what I wanted to capture in the book Um, whether whether I resolved those feelings of confliction, you guess you'd have to read the book and find out. you have to read the book, it's also not just on your shoulders <laughs> <laughs> to do that. I mean, it's a personal and a political question, right? And um, finding resolution between those sort of, like, the, the sort of idea of, like, oh, is it okay to sort of settle down and be really heteronormy, or am I kind of um, betraying something of my community or yeah. my politics? Yeah. Y- it's a really difficult question to try and reconcile, but I guess one thing I learned is that seeing things that way might have been a bit binary.
0: In chapter 5, uh, Now You See Me, and also chapter 6, Now You Don't, the question of tokenism comes up in many different ways. For example, you talk about Rihanna's justification on not using uh, any trans model in a Fenty campaign, as well as the LGBTQ plus publication called Them, initiated by Condé Nast. Um more generally, like brands appropriating queer territory or mainstream culture, hugging subversive and underground codes and attitudes. And I feel like in the end, what matters most is their intention and legitimacy, and to be cautious of brands that just want to pinkwash and queerwash their image, kind of. So the question is, um, how do you feel about that after meeting up with all these different opinions uh, on the question of tokenism? and where should be, uh, where should the boundaries for mainstream culture or brands be set or should there be any at all?
2: It's an interesting question. And again, quite a hard one, isn't it? Because, <laughs> 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 no, I'm
0: the one that picked these topics <laughs> for my book.
2: <laughs> I think, I think we know, don't we? I think when we see something or someone in we a campaign. Know, we look. just know whether it's <laughs> whether right or...
1: Apollo but or. we're still, so she not be like...
2: Yeah, I think things are getting a bit better. I think there's a bit more of a general awareness. It's Kiela Beja in the book who says, your shit's on blast now. Like, you know, when Pepsi put out a Diet Coke advert of Kendall Jenner, like, <laughs> sort of, like, sort of aping the Black Lives Matter protest with, with by, in the advert, it's just... It's just insane, but obviously like you're gonna get loads of shit for that because w- people are out there policing these things as they should be on social media and whatnot. Um, so I think that's we're educating brands um, and there's it's more of a two-way street now definitely yeah.
1: like I think the impact already of people having the kind of those digital platforms like it's qu- it's quite monumental that that ad got pulled as quickly as it did. Um, And I think, you know, a clear next step is having a diverse set of people in the room so that the idea doesn't even get approved, so that that doesn't even get produced because someone earlier in the process goes, hang on a second guys, maybe we should get a second opinion or my opinion, you know, as a person of color or kind of thing. So it's, we are getting there. There is obviously a, a, a progress to celebrate and an evolution, but it's getting to that point where like, it, the the hollow crap gets called out before you know before it's even like money is invested I suppose for me like that would be yeah. where we're hopefully going towards
2: yeah I think so and I think it's not just calling out something when it's like does something really overtly bad it's just o- or also there's a lot of calling out of things that aren't don't look diverse you know so I rem- remember my friend Amru basing a picture of like the, po- the film poster for Mamma Mia 2, and it was like, it had like 16 white people on it. <laughs> and just people kind of taking the piss out of these things or criticizing them as, as constructive and brands are being forced to listen. So I think that's good. And I think exactly as you say, it's about having people in the room, um, which seems to be happening more and more. And also people figuring out more ethical ways to do things or that things feel more genuine or authentic when you actually include the relevant people. Like mm. I, I mean I don't know the ins and outs of who got paid what obviously, but I feel like with Ryan Murphy's pose, you can it just it's just such a good show because it's like trans people
1: playing trans people and it just feels authentic and in in the writing room like Janet Mock is a huge part of that um Hector Extravaganza uh yeah MJ Rodriguez and India um just yeah that is an example isn't it a a perfect current example um of how from A to Z that has been that's good. Uh, th- there is an opportunity for people at any point to go, no, 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 hold on. It's actually like this.
2: And also pays off because we stand that, right? Because like, yeah. and, you know, or, you know, even, even just like, I rem- remember talking about Ryan Murphy and Versace when they had like Ricky Martin playing, it's Archie's boyfriend, like just these things, like queer people live. For, like it's yeah. what we want to see, <laughs> like these funny little gay nods. Uh,
1: to go to chapter three, in the beginning there were gay bars. You talk with um, a sociologist, a sociologist at the University of Columbia, Amin yes. Um and he he mentions uh, this concept of uh, performative uh, progressiveness. So where there's equality from a legal standpoint but that doesn't ensure uh, feeling safe or being safe um, as a queer person within society. Bottom line, uh, being gay is okay, but doing gay is not. Um, So this performativity, it feels very visible in the kind of liberal societies that the three of us live in. And it impacts all minority communities which ultimately allows for all types of discrimination to persist, so ageism, ableism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, and on and on and on, with no real accountable action being taken to change things just because like, something is written down in law. Um, what do you think are some important next steps for this performative? Activity to evolve into action or attitudes that will actually enable uh, progress like real progress hmm.
2: it's a hard one isn't it because yeah i i one thing when i talk about performative progressiveness which is Amin's mean's term he's brilliant um it, it's just the perfect term to, su- to sum up, isn't yeah, it? We, we it's really good. It's I don't know. It, well. It's we're not. It's yeah, down. it's not really widely used or known about. I think he might have coined it or something. Anyway, uh, so I hope more people learn this term from the book. Um, one, th- one thing that I think of, what my, probably my most accepting of my gainer's family member at my birthday last year, we were like, this is someone, the first person I came out to, like so accepting. And then... At my birthday dinner, I was like, she was talking about films, and I was like, oh, you should watch this film, Call Me By Your Name. It's beautiful. Oh, it's about two, you know, gay guy. And then she's like, oh, do they have sex in it? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, I don't want to watch it then. And I was like, but you, but you'd watch a film where straight people have sex, so, like, why wouldn't you watch a film with gay people kissing or having sex in it? She's like, I just don't really want to see that. And I'm like, this is the person who's accepted me. The been so overwhelmingly accepting. I think this is, like the disjunction, right? Like, you can kind of emotionally support someone you know who's gay, or you can vote for gay rights, mm. um, or you but can go to fucking prides, and then you, when you s- actually see okay. two people, gay, m- gay people making out in front of your face, it still like makes you recoil somehow, and I think we forget that a lot of people hold that within themselves. Yeah. M- not Maybe not their fault, maybe they've been taught to feel like that, or there's some kind of deeper thing going on there, yeah. um, but that's what performative progressiveness is, I think. Um, and I, w- I I think about it a lot, like, you know, who was the onus on to change this? Um, because as, again, like a very privileged person, I kind of feel like I want to be like really pu- do a lot of PDAs in public with my girlfriend or like hold hands in in public. Um, or like, you know, I'll like kiss on the tube and the escalators and like, you know, I've had girlfriends that are like, oh, I don't, don't want to do that. And I'm like, well, you need to expose people to this. If you just yeah. kind of internalize this feeling like that's not what you should be doing or it's not safe or to just do that. Do
1: it doors.
2: Or we should be doing this behind closed doors. Yeah. Exactly. Then you're not really shifting anything.
0: Right. However,
2: I, saying that nothing bad has ever happened to me as a consequence of doing that. And if it had, maybe I would think twice.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and also it's like, why should we put our intimacy on scene for people to accept it? Like, why is it our role to put our intimacy in front of everyone's eyes for them to understand stuff? Is it our job to educate people?
2: I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. It's, it's helpful, I guess, to, to not internalise that and be like, oh, I only need to keep this behind closed doors. Yeah. But equally, it's not... It's, Who is the onus on? It shouldn't be on us. So I don't yeah. know. It's but a difficult one. If it's a yeah.
1: risk that you're taking... Yeah, you're putting yourself you at risk. It, yeah. Why, yeah, like, why should that be on you? And I also wonder... Um, th- there's probably a difference, right, between... Uh, two men being affectionate in public and two women mm-hmm. um, being yeah, affectionate in public. Really like intense. I feel like that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, but it's a different risk. It's a different. It is. You know, either you're kind of fantasized, um, or you're like, ooh, don't w- don't want yeah. to see that. and it depends.
2: Totally depends who you are and where you are, and also, like I, I have a friend that are an interracial couple. The, the guy is black and the his boyfriend's white and. Mm-hmm. The boy the boy the white guys always like oh like hold my hand kiss me in public and the guy who's a person of color is like no um because when that's happened other black men have shouted at me or attacked me and they feel that they can police my behavior but not yours because you're a white man but because I'm yeah, that. So be that so there's all these different things going on for going in, on as yeah well, in terms of who, who you are and wh- yeah. wh- what wh- what you are and where you are and I I mean I guess that's why film films like call
0: me by your name are a great thing mm-hmm. because they're kind of doing, doing the work there. for us. yeah definitely.
1: yeah i think mm. it's
0: it's all about education and context right it's about i think the, the education needs to be done for all of these mm. questions in in the end and and mostly also about context because as you say when you're white and privileged and, and in like mm. good situation it's it's quite more easy whether
1: yeah, but again, it's it's that introduction of, of of diversity and and showing you know in books on the screen through any kind of creative f- format or output that it's every scenario is acceptable and should be celebrated. You know that it's not just a success if it is. Um, uh, a man and a woman, or, and you're fitting some kind of binary construct. Mm-hmm. I think there is also, like, we were talking um, with uh, Erica from Gays, the Word Bookshop, and uh, talking about children's literature and young a- adults. So, like, just these things from the get go, just not being conditioned in the binary way, but being, you know, just being open and seeing more diversity across the board. Yeah, going back to pose, my
2: mum texts me saying, oh, have you watched this program called Pose? Because it's on, like, the BBC, right? And I'm like, wow. So your mum's And then, yeah, I mean, t- she described it as fame, but with drag queens, which I don't <laughs> feel is accurate in any way. However, <laughs> I,
0: know, I mean... Description, but
2: but uh, the fact that she's seeing this relationship by a trans, between a trans woman of colour and, like, a closeted white man is, like... Pr- maybe productive and interesting and mind-expanding in itself. So I think it's these things that we really need. Yeah. Uh, and bless her for watching it and loving yeah. it and learning from it. <laughs> That's
1: yeah. awesome. And then talking to you about it as well. Like she's not just. You've done it
0: it she thing. watched
2: it before me, so.
0: Oh, <laughs> she's <laughs> done her job on <laughs> <laughs> having her then
1: like. Yeah. Sort of okay, so uh, let's go to the kind of round of quick questions. Um. Could you share with us maybe a couple of sources of inspiration, it can be people, it can be authors, it can be uh, books, art, whatever, that opened your mind on queer culture and also pushed you to explore further in queer intentions?
2: I guess there there are lots of different influences on the book. Some are quite surprising, some are like, um, straight, white, male reporters. <laughs> or gu- or like um, gonzo journalists like yeah. uh, Louis Theroux or John Ronson, he really influenced the style of the book, actually. Yeah. Um, that whole kind of, I'm going to put myself in the situation or I don't really know where I'm going to go next or like self-deprecating British humour um, that I really love. Um, but I guess while I, while I credit those as massive, massive influences, I think that I always had this feeling like, oh, it always seems to be men that, like, do these big kind of global reporting. I can go anywhere I want and take up all this space. Mm-hmm. And it felt really important to make it really global and on this big scale as a woman writing it because, like, we don't see enough of that, I feel like. Or that's a genre that's, like, always attributed to men, probably yeah. quite wrongly. Um, so that they were influences. Um, Sarah Schulman's book, The Gentrification of the Mind, was a big influence. Um just this idea of um like a kind of psychological gentrification and how your thinking can become gentrified so it's not just like cities or places Mm. that um become gentrified that the kind of like landscape of your mind can become gentrified um without you even realizing it um and thinking about that uh was a massive influence as you can probably tell from reading the book i definitely recommend that book to anyone it's um Yeah, and then finally, um, I suppose conversations with my friends, um, a few of whom have books coming out. um, Glamru, um, or Amru Al-Khadi, who is in the book, um, has a book coming out called Unicorn later this year. um, And then my friend Tom Rasmussen has just had a book out called Diary of a Drag Queen. And these are two people that I just have a lot of the conversations face-to-face, all the time about the topics that come up in the book. Um, so I, I suppose they've both been massive influences on me and I definitely really recommend their books. So that's Diary of a Drag Queen and Unicorn. Awesome. We'll pop
1: those in the show notes as well, thank you. Yeah, good job on this really difficult
0: question. <laughs> um, Max is uh, Well, you've said that you've been reading a lot of queer books uh, and you can't wait to read like maybe other stuff, but what are the three latest books you've read? Ooh,
1: that like you, that you you've loved that you'd recommend yeah. you
2: know, yeah can
1: be queer literature can be something else.
2: Uh, well they've I've sort of for work I don't really get to sort of pick things at random that I read that much in terms of time and the amount of things I have to read for work. But I've I've read some great things recently. Um, one is um Andrea Lawler's book Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl, which is a, about a Gay guy called Paul, who's about twenty three in nineties, um, somewhere. Uh, Chicago. I can't remember. The, the the book traverses so many cities. I can't remember which one Paul starts in. But basically, Paul can shift their gender, um, their well, their, their anatomy, um, which and the way that they look, which gives them access to all these different spaces and interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but but not. In, they don't really use the language of transness. that it's kind of like a bit, almost a bit sci fi. Um, and it's set within this kind of like punk 90s riot girl dra- uh, backdrop in America. Um, and it's a super queer book. There's like one straight character out of like 100 characters. It's like the queerest book of wow. all time. Um, and loads of sex. So that's a great book, really interesting. It's kind of like Virginia Wolf's Orlando. Another book I read recently was um, How to Lose a Country by a friend of mine called Eje Tamelkaran and it's a book about the, ri- the signs um, of rising populism. So that was a nice break from reading yeah. queer books um, but it it was it's kind of written slightly tongue-in-cheek and it's like broken into sections of like what starts to happen to a country um, when yeah when sort of the far right is gaining popularity and it kind of looks it makes a lot of connections between Britain and America with Turkey where EJ is from yeah and then I guess number three would be I can't remember, but maybe a birthday or Christmas, my girlfriend bought me this book called Ask Dr. Mueller, which is the collected writings um, of Cookie Mueller, who's, uh, who's probably my favourite writer of all time. Um, okay. And I'm always reading this and rereading this because she's so fun. Um, but she was sort, she was in, she was a sort of like, she was this sort of avant-garde queer figure. Uh, she was an agony aunt, an actress, a stripper, a sort of like, It girl, an anti it girl. I don't know. She was. (laughs) She was very. She was very very cool. She she was in John Waters films. Um, Yeah, she was um, sort of like sort of orbiting the sort of Andy Warhol scene at one point, and then she's also um, was very good friends with Nan Golden, who took a lot of photos of her, and she wrote. um, She wrote this. She she was an agony aunt. I think maybe at the Village Voice or somewhere like that. Maybe not some one of those sort of um, papers, and then um, she she she. There's this collection of her work called "Walking Through Clear Water in a Pool Painted Black," um, and it's just her short stories. And someone said about her, one of the sort of John Waters set, like, "Oh, Cookie couldn't leave the house to buy a carton of milk without something insane happening to her." And the book is like short stories from her life, and they are just so funny. Like she's just got this brilliant sense of humour and the crazy, the the, the, the most, the weirdest things have happened to her. Um, So I'd I'd really recommend either of those books. They're both kind of collections of her
1: stories. Okay, Okay. thank you. Obviously in the short term, you've got kind of like the book tour coming up and events surrounding that. But what's next for you in your career? Like what, what do you want to do? Well, I would like to do a quick... Uh,
2: a kind of antho- queer anthology um, and I would also like to try doing some TV writing and I would also, when I've sort of regained the energy um, of doing, after doing this book go and do another book which has a similar format um, which I have an idea for.
1: Yeah so t- a bit of TV, venturing into TV continuing with the book writing and it's exciting well we can't wait to we'll be following And yeah, uh, not sound nice. creepy but it <laughs> will be following and supporting um, and obviously whenever you come to Paris um, yeah, we'll have a glass of wine in we'll of be Miami there in Paris, we'll so. come to the event we'll take you for wine <laughs> like you're sorted
2: lovely,
1: yeah, yeah. last question sorry when does Queer Intentions actually come out can we buy it now it's out on the 30th of May but you can pre-order now